The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to Three Yards Per Carry, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alf, I have Simon, I have Chris here. And before we get into on something with a solemn note, Chris, you were at Boys to Men this weekend. <laughs> I think, you know, I don't after think last... that this is a coincidence anymore. I think these are like paid appearances for the show. He's going to all the notes next week, apparently. Uh, after after you guys, you know, ribbed me so much for uh, for Michael Bolton last week, I, I thought I really had to step up my game. And I think that I redeemed myself. I was at Boys to Men and uh, and they they covered uh, Journey. And <laughs> you would have redeemed yourself if That's shops exciting. were still selling. If shops were still selling black and white televisions and this was 1983, then you would have redeemed yourself. Anything else, no redemption. Uh, Simon thought he was all slick. You know, I text I text out a video of from uh, from Boys to Men, and he's uh, you know he immediately makes an end of the road reference. I know you're a secret fan. Uh, I was a secret fan back in the 1940s. <laughs> so Chris, that, be- that begs the question: like, what's next week? I mean, Alf and I had a little, comp- little guessing game. I went for Bobby McFerrin, but don't worry, be happy. Alf, what did you go for? A little bit of... I think I settled on, on mine being not as good as yours, so I right. defer to you. <laughs> so Bob, was it Bobby McFerrin next week, is it? Hall and Oates, a little bit of... Little bit of oh, if only, if only Hall and Oates. Uh, but uh, you'll, you'll have to find out next week, but trust me, there is one, and, and I'm going to be there. <laughs> Are you going to go to a concert that's actually relevant to anybody under the age of 75? <laughs> or, 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 anybody, well, or anybody that I didn't think was alive or dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, let's not, let's not, you know, let's not ask for too much here. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let, let's get into something. I wanted to start th- today by saying that uh, there's something that's being buried in the national media. Okay. Talk about burying the lead. Somebody in the NFL has had a horrific offseason, and it's not the Miami Dolphins. It's the Patriots. Amendola gone. Nate Solder gone, Deion Lewis gone, Malcolm Butler gone, Brandon Cooks traded, Gronk supposedly traded, according to WEEI, Brady is old, they traded Garoppolo during the season. Explain to me how this is not a huge boost for the Miami Dolphins. Because they're not good enough for it to be a boost? How often does this happen? It happens all the oh, the Patriots are finished, the Patriots are finished, and that, it never matters. It never, because they say, you know, they roll out, you lose Lawrence Maroney, here comes James White, you lose... Dion Lewis, here comes the next man up. That next man up mentality, they've done better than anybody in ever in history. They get rid of Prior X, here comes Marcus Cannon, here comes so and so. That I mean that defense was Stefan Gilmore and pretty much uh, and the safety Harmon and uh, McCourty and and that was pretty much it last season. And and yeah, they still made it to the Super Bowl. That, that front seven was absolutely horrendous last year. I'm sorry to the listeners, I've lost my voice. I went to Liverpool, Manchester City in the Champions League quarterfinal early on. I'm a Liverpool fan, it finished three 0 so that's why I sound like a member of the Frog Chorus. Um, so uh, just in case you're wondering, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't see this as a. They've now got two first round picks, two second round picks. It's Belichick and Brady, and they still made the Super Bowl last year and and were essentially a, a couple of ridiculous plays away from winning it at a sixth Super Bowl. So I think um I think the king is not dead quite yet. I, well, you could never make the frog chorus. By the way, the uh, the cut downs are really brutal on that. Um, I just have to say that the joke is on you though, Simon. You're arguing against uh, a recording, and now it's up to our listeners to decide whether that recording was originally recorded in a 2017 b 2013 or c 2006 because yeah. obviously every single year we're always 
portending the demise of the New England Patriots, and every single year they just uh, destroy us en route to the Super Bowl. How about we let them uh, not make the Super Bowl one year, and then and then we'll have the conversation. You know, maybe let's set the bar kind of kind of high here, like just not make the Super Bowl. So we're, let's let's get that far. So we're going to completely ignore the fact that if they had to play a game, I know they're not going to play a game tomorrow, but they have nobody to throw to, nobody to hand it off to, and nobody's protecting Brady's blind side, and they've replaced none of these players. Well, you know, that's a good point because Giselle did say that he Brady cannot throw and catch the ball at the same time. So uh, so maybe maybe you've got something there. I don't know. As uh, the older Brady gets, the more this becomes reality that it could be over. Brady doesn't get old. He's got those dog placenta injections. <laughs> Where are those T-shirts, by the way? The dog <laughs> that, that was my favorite Dolphin story. I mean, you know, in, uh, talking about the Patriots, my favorite Dolphin story of the week is, is seeing uh, the Pouncey brothers, Mike and Marco. I mean, not that Mike is a dolphin anymore, but training with Chris Forster, the the former the, the former line sniffing, hooker banging offensive line coach, Lions, line specialist, allegedly, allegedly. I mean, it's well, pretty. It's, it's a line specialist getting together with other line specialists. Oh, now that is allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> that is allegedly. Um, other news: Brandon Doughty gone, Terence Fiday gone to the Buffalo Bills. What do we think of that? Dennis Icky gets his man, and Terence Fiday Super Bowl for Buffalo. I was I was liked him. I was liked. Him. I always thought he was a it was a nice performer, you know. But how many defensive ends are we going to have now? And Doughty, I think it's pretty clear that fails outplayed him last year in preseason, and then actually got to play in the regular season. Cameron Malvo, I think, made Terence Fiday um essentially put him out of work. I think I think Malvo played pretty well down the stretch. You know, even a couple of times he, he sort of flashed a little bit, flashed a little bit on special teams, and I just think I think he just won the battle between him and him and Fiday, which is why Terence is now Buffalo Bill. Well, I think that uh, in a, I mean, yeah, Malvo helps, but look at the fact they just acquired Robert Quinn. They still yeah. have Andre Branch, and then they went ahead and got William Hayes back. I think when William Hayes went out, Terrence got a chance to step up, and actually, I thought he did. I thought he did okay. Uh, I didn't have any complaints about him. I'm with you guys there, but but now you have a chance to get William Hayes back, and he was just phenomenal for what they asked him to do uh, last year, and so uh, that just makes Fide expendable. The heavy rumor, and I think. I think it's more than a rumor because I think it's it's been whispered about enough that it's probably going to happen, and that's that Branch is probably going to be traded. Yeah, I, I've <laughs> heard that too, and I, I, I have. Who's taking a contract? That's why the, the Patriots. The Patriots. That's how they're going to win the Super Bowl. And he'll Bowl have again 16 sacks next year. <laughs> yeah, if he has 16 sacks in the next 10 years, I'd be surprised. I mean, nothing goes <laughs> okay, Come on, sacking quarterback is not his forte. It and that's the we can't we can't cut him because you know and, and people aren't know this or not, but he's got his guaranteed salary. So it's it's not because of the cap hit that we can't cut him or acceleration of bonus or anything like that. It's that we're going to have to pay his salary, whether he's here or not. And they're not going to cut him. And the only option is to trade him. And I don't under, I don't, I don't know who's going to trade for him. I hope somebody does. God, I hope somebody does. Uh, I've heard the rumor that really they couldn't trade him earlier and that they, you know, there, there are some snags that maybe we don't know about that are going on inside there that they couldn't trade him earlier and they can only trade him, you know, getting toward now ish or maybe toward the draft or or maybe even june but uh i have a hard time believing it realistically who's going to do it i mean seriously who's going to give up for that contract for uh yeah, a guy coming off knee surgery a guy coming off a really down year who's going to do that and it's not like you know in the year that that he had with us not last year the year two years ago which was his best career you know his career year was a five and a half sacks i think yeah. who's going to be paying for who's going to be paying for andre branch I'm, I'm sorry i just don't see it it has to be a team that needs to fill cap space and it's getting late it's like around June, I would say, July. I mean, the and Dolphins are the only team who would trade for him, and he's our own player, so it's unlikely they're going to do it. The only team's dumb enough to do it. Right, listen, enough of the news. Let's uh, let's kick on, because obviously, now that Alf's got his Patriots thing out of the way, this is a Miami Dolphins podcast after all, and each week we do this, we want to hear from you. You can message us on Twitter, on social media. I am at Cy Clancy, C-L-A-N-C-A-N-C-Y. I can't even spell my own name. Chris is at CK Parrot, and Alf is at, at, at Uptown Report. Or you can get in touch using the hashtag three yards. So one of the things that we talked about last week, you mentioned Jay Ajayi, and, and somebody messaged us to sort of ask us what we, we meant when we talked about being in the locker room and seeing Ajayi's, Ajayi's behavior last year. And Chris, this came about after the Cleveland game at home last year, didn't it, where we went to, it went to overtime. Cody Parkey, remember him? He missed two field goals, and Ajayi won it with a with a sweep around left end in overtime for our first win of the season. Coach Gase's first win, and you and I, you and I were in the locker room 
post game and uh, saw the sort of some of the celebrations. Coach, Coach Gates was very unhappy. Um, but JJ, his that's where we first kind of got the you know we knew we knew he'd been suspended for the Seattle game, but this is where we sort of saw it firsthand, didn't we? The sort of behaviour traits that didn't particularly sit well with you and I when we were in there. Explain to the listeners what happened. Yeah, I think that. After the game, I mean, he won. If I recall right, he he basically won the game, right? He did, I mean, yeah. he 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 scored the touchdown, the sort of the walk off touchdown, um, and he was the hero of the hour. And for him being the hero of the hour, we're in the locker room, and he is just uh, he is just being a, a a grouse to like basically everybody. He's being he's being <laughs> grumpy. Yeah, I mean, so it's just yeah, this this guy is there and people are trying to talk to him and he's kind of being a jerk to them and and it was a little bit off putting. Um, you know, I had to pay attention to it because I was trying not to pay attention to how long Ryan Tannehill was spending uh, toweling his his undercarriage because uh, that man is dedicated to keeping uh, his taint free of moisture. Let me tell you, he spent at least five minutes doing that. Uh, this is a locker room setting, of course, and you're, and you're trying. You know, you, there's players walking around and, and naked and whatnot you're like oh yeah keep your eyes wherever and, and, and oh, not look at anybody I and i see Tannehill over there and i'm like oh well look away he's 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 you know toweling himself so i swear like like no, minutes later <laughs> minutes later i'm like okay well you know maybe we can go over there maybe Tannehill's dressed now he's still doing it he's still doing it he's still toweling himself down there it was it was amazing <laughs> it just shows the attention to detail that he has um as a quarterback and uh that's you know that's my quarterback that's my guy but jay ajayi in the in the locker room where we're, we're you know, trying to talk to him have a little chat with him and and he just wasn't having it the guy was just kind of a jerk i mean he this was his first moment in the spotlight really wasn't it since since he was a boise this was his first opportunity it was the walk-off touchdown it was the kind of the 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 guy that had been suspended who who turned it around a little bit um, and played well in that second half and he'd done a lot of interviews admittedly uh and i can remember him talking to joe shad uh, our friend joe shad of the palm beach post and then people sort of dissipated a little bit and we were going to go over and talk and it was a big weekend for him. Obviously he's, he's English. He's from London. So his, his soccer team Arsenal had had won that weekend. So we were going to go over and chat to him about what a great weekend it was for you. Arsenal winning yesterday. He scored the walk-off touchdown today and, and, and he was on the phone. He was ordering, I think he was ordering pizza. Um, Hmm. And, a, and a journalist was in the queue in front, kind of in the queue, kind of just ahead of us, and, and asked him a question. And a guy just bit his head off, and it was it was uncomfortable, wasn't it, Chris? And he he really kind of snapped, and it was so unnecessary. And some of the other guys, Drake, and a couple of the other guys who were around, would sort of looked as if uh, it just felt really, really weird, didn't it? And it was just an uncomfortable kind of moment. And you just thought, dude, you know, this is your, you know, you've just this is your chance to shine. This is your yeah. chance. Project your personality to people. You don't have to come across like an ass. And I just yeah. And this is his first, his first real, you know, his big moment too. Show. I mean, yeah. And and one more thing before you know, I get to Alf here is that I've heard that the Dolphins are uh, pretty uh, ticked off at Ajayi because he went up to Philadelphia after the trade and um, he was a different player up there. Uh, they they saw it on the film. I don't know if they heard anything behind the scenes, but uh, but he was not the same up there, you know, the gripes that they had with him down here in Miami, uh, he had changed a lot of those habits and, you know, now was trying to be a good boy. And I, I think, it, you know, the message was sent with the trade, but I mean, I'll just give you some examples and the next, the next gen type stats that you can get from the NFL. Um, they'll show you how many yards sort of East West yards, how many yards you ran total for every yard that you gained. Um, and if you look at 2016, when he had that great year, you know, he, he ranked sort of, uh, near the top, you know, the the idea being the fewer yards that you have East West, you know, per yard gain, the better, because you're, you're a North South player. Um, he, he ranked near the top in terms of fewest, you know, yards East West per, uh, per yard gain. And you get this 2017, it blows up. He's, he's traveling like nearly five yards for every rushing yard he gained. And it was number 46 out of 50 qualifiers. He goes up to Philadelphia and it's way back down. He's not dancing anymore. And this was the, this was the gripe that Adam Gase had for him. He said, you know, sometimes you just got to take the yards that are there not try to hit the home run so much. And you look at the other guys like Kenyon Drake and what he did, he was doing it right. You know, he had he had numbers that ranked near the top of the league. And you look at the the amount of time that they spent in the backfield, it wasn't it wasn't the blockers 
letting guys in and forcing him to dance because he wasn't spending a whole lot of time in the backfield. He was just spending a whole lot of time dancing, you know, beyond the line of scrimmage or trying to run east west, get out to the sidelines and break out the home run. And when he gets to Philadelphia, all of a sudden, He's good again with that. He's he's doing it exactly how they wanted him to do it. And I think that that's their gripe with him, that um, that he needed that message sent because he was clearly, you know, kind of screwing off a little bit in Miami. Well, and, one, one thing I can say about J.H.I., my only experience with him was this past year in camp, and he was fine with me, you know, meaning he basically ignored me every, every day I was there. One thing that fans don't know or maybe they've heard it said to them before and they haven't put too much stock in it, J.H.I. wanted to run a certain set of plays and didn't want to deviate from those plays. And Adam Gase was complicit in allowing him to basically have his own pet plays called game in and game out, even if they weren't working, even if most of the other team you know, knew what was coming or his own teammates knew it wasn't going to be effective. So he was a prima donna in that way. And if you watched him in Philadelphia, the only thing is that they didn't give him as many touches as we were giving him. But they did cater to him in that sense. All right, guys, coming up, we'll dive deep into the Dolphins' quarterback position. Uh, first, though, check these bad boys out. This week on the Five Reasons Podcast, we're joined by Vinny Goodwill of NBC Sports Chicago. Here's one thing you have to realize. When you're watching two bad teams engage in tanking matrimony, it's like <laughs> watching two very attractive women get close to kissing each other except they're both your cousins. <laughs> it is absolutely painful and dreadful to watch. Subscribe to the Five Reasons Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Uh, you can hear more from Chris, Ethan, and the team by doing exactly as they just said. Lots of great content there at the Five Reasons, guys. Right, boys, we, we trailed it before the advert. It's quarterback time, Miami Dolphins quarterback time. The savior is returning, our skydiving number 17, as he was doing uh, at the weekend, diving from a from a big boat called Bantano was coming back. How excited are we? Well, I think that, you know, you get him back and the contrast between what he did in 2016 and what Jay Cutler did in uh, 2017 and you know, even Matt Moore is just so stark that you have to be excited about getting him back. And look at the numbers that they have him. That's the underrated aspect of the uh, the Ryan Tannehill story. I think for the Dolphins is looking at his contract and where he is, and um, and figuring you know where he stacks among like Case Keenum just signed a contract that pays him basically the same as Ryan Tannehill, and. I, I think we feel better about Ryan Tannehill. I mean, knee notwithstanding, we feel better about him compared to what Denver does about Case Keenum. I think Denver's looking at probably taking a quarterback in the draft um, and maybe being a little bit more desperate about it than Miami. But you know that that's kind of how I look at it. Ryan Tannehill, he comes back. He's gonna he's he's got good pass protection, and I know we'll talk about the line some other time. But I'm excited to get him back. I'm excited to see what he can do. We um we're all three of us are Tannehill fans. Um, are we guilty of being a little too myopic when it comes to him because of our fandom? Because, you know, the perception around the league is that, you know, he's maybe the 20th best quarterback in the NFL. I think the perception from, from people like us is that maybe he's around about the 12th and that over the last couple of years, pre the injury, he was really beginning to develop into something that we could, you know, really believe in moving forward. But are we right? Are we too close to it? Are we a little bit rose-tinted glasses in seeing him as this this kind of savior of the team that perhaps he's not quite where where's the the truth and the perception and the, where are we on that scale i don't think we're too close to it i think we're exactly where the rest of the country is on eli manning and joe flacco and if most of the rest of the country thinks that eli manning and joe flacco are just fine and that you can win Super Bowls with them, which they have, they have three between them, then I'm fine with saying that Ryan Tannehill is our Eli Manning, our Joe Flacco, and that so he's he, good can, enough if we put the right team around him to win a Super Bowl here. Okay, so it would be the team and not Tannehill rather than the other I, way around. Yes. No. I think maybe even, I might even go just a little bit beyond, to be honest, not Eli Manning so much, but, you know, Joe Flacco, I think that he might be a little bit better than that, especially right now. I just, I just, you really have to look at the 2016 tape under Adam Gase and, and what you see compared to what you see elsewhere in the NFL, the throws that these other guys miss, 
and I that Simon, you mentioned myop, you know, the myopia and um, that concept. I think Dolphins fans get myopic in a different way. It's every throw that Tannehill misses is a throw that only Tannehill misses. They don't they don't look around at these other guys around the league and see uh, see what they're doing, see the throws that they're misses missing, the interceptions that they throw. The uh, and and we got a taste of that last year because here we were, you know, kind of daisies and roses thinking about Jay Cutler and Adam Gase. I know, like, kind of had had his own uh, optimism about Cutler, and he was awful. It, let's be honest, he had a few games, but he was awful, and mm-hmm. we saw. Now, what the rest of the league does look like, what we saw, what real mediocre looks like, Perception what real sport. mediocre quarterback play looks like, and it wasn't Tannehill. Perception no. in sports is an interesting thing, though, isn't it? Because we can, you know, the, once a player is deemed or dubbed to be average or poor or fantastic it's very hard to change that narrative isn't it because you know we, we are the not everybody watches every game do you know what i mean the general fans around the league don't sit and watch you know just as we don't sit and watch carolina games every week you know game in game out we don't sit and watch tennessee games game in game out so we have a general idea about how well mariota's playing we have because you know because that's what we, we we're interested in but the, the general fan in the street and the perception has been that ryan has been an average to middling to sort of fair quarterback and it's very hard for that national narrative to to change do you see what i'm saying in terms of actually the acceptance that oh, okay he's pretty much turned a corner and he probably turned it a couple of years ago but everybody else is not really catching up with that and you kind of feel like we're we're not always on the same hymn sheet singing from the same hymn sheet as a almost as a fan base as part one but also when you expand that out to the national media would that be a, would you reckon that's a fair comment i think that what what happens is and i agree with that what what happens is that the the average fan is in love with this idea of just finding an elite quarterback i don't care how you do it just go out there just find me one because they see how easy it is and how easy the game can be when you have one. The problem is, it's almost impossible to fight one. The Miami Dolphins have a, a storied history, and they have one elite quarterback. Sorry, uh, Bob Greasy. They have one elite quarterback in their history. The Packers have three in their history. They've been around for 5,000 years. It just doesn't happen. You know, now, can you get the first overall pick? Fine. You take an Andrew Luck. Is Andrew Luck long for this league? His shoulder's falling off. So you got to set your expectations a little lower and just shoot for that adequate, competent quarterback that can play for you for 15 years. Dan Marino hadn't happened. Do you think Ryan Tannehill would be treated differently? I Do you think if we'd never had Marino and never had the heights of Marino, we would never have tried to compare every single quarterback that we've had since? To Marino, so therefore, absolutely. do you think? Do you think Ryan, uh, I, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, do you think I think Ryan that's true. Better crack of the whip if Marino hadn't happened. Yes. Okay. I think. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I agree too. I think it's you know I, I kind of feel like we're damned by history in a way, and you know a great history, but I think it's very difficult to try and step out of our shadows, sh- those shadows. And I think perception does alter when you have somebody like Marino in our history. I, I think that's uh, I think that's interesting. I, I think we're all all three of us are, are, are jacked for Tano to come back and excited about where he is. And you know we we, we laughed, and our good friend Dave Hyde did a nice piece about um, uh, about Ryan diving from the boat at the weekend when he was out with Sam Young and, and their families and his wife and and Ryan's wife and the kids and stuff and. There, there was Ryan diving from a pretty high kind of a high boat out into the sea, and um, it kind of underlines exactly where he is, both mentally and physically. I think with this knee, he's um he's going to be ready from day one, isn't he? And he's got some things to prove, really about his fitness, and uh, and hopefully he can really take us forwards and have a good season. And the thing about that, like being excited about him coming back, let's not we've we've made it clear that we're not exactly Ryan Tannehill sycophants here. Um, no. What the reason we're excited about it coming back? Baker Mayfield. <laughs> exactly. So I we make it clear here that we're excited about him coming back because we saw the throws in 2017 that were there in the offense, there to be made that he actually did make in 2016 and that our guys in 2017 just couldn't for the life of them, scattershot. I mean, they just couldn't do it. And these, some of these were easy throws. Some of these were throws that college guys that I'm looking at every week uh, can probably make. Some of these college guys can make. You know, our guys last year couldn't. And so I'm excited just to get that competency back. And, uh, and and maybe a little bit better than that because Tannehill, I do think, is better than just competent. But, yeah, I, 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 that's why I'm excited about this. What about the backup situation then? Where are we with that? No Matt Moore now, no Brandon Doughty. Um, David Fales has come back, who started or started, he played all but one series at the back end of the season. Brock Osweiler, who obviously knows gays from their Denver days, and they had three solid years there in Denver, especially that that sort of playoff run where they beat New England in overtime in the snow up there at, 
at mile high. How do how do we feel about that situation? Before we look at the draft, how do we feel about those two guys as uh, as potential backups? Are they are they going to be competing for one spot? Is it Fails versus Osweiler? Do you think they both make the roster? How do you think that shakes out before we look at the draft? I'd like to see Fails beat out Osweiler. Now, let me be clear. If he plays, we're not winning many games. So I'd, I'd much rather that we draft Baker Mayfield on a trade-up or he happens to fall by the grace of God to number 11. Then that will be our backup quarterback. And if Ryan goes down, then... We start the Baker Mayfield era a little early, but I just don't see it with Osweiler. And fails, I guess, you know, uh, as a backup, I'd rather see him. It's something new, but I saw Osweiler and I didn't like it. I think that our backup is not on the roster yet. I think that that's that's what's going to happen in the draft. I think looking at the contract with Brock Osweiler and how much they ended up, I think they guaranteed him maybe about $700,000. Um, which is right in line with a guy that you would feel no, uh, you know, nothing about cutting coming out of camp. Uh, I think that yes, Fails and Osweiler are the guys that you want to learn the offense during training camp and and to practice for you in preseason and preseason ball. And if you cut one of them, then hopefully they're still on speed dial and you can uh, you can bring them back in the fold. That was David Fails. David Fails last year was was with the Miami Dolphins. And and then when they needed him, he was on speed dial and they brought him back. Um, and so I think that that's the way to look at those two. They might actually bring three into the season if they, you know, with a draft guy. But I, I think the primary backup or the guy that everybody's going to think of as the primary backup is not on this roster. It's going to come via the draft. I, I think it's interesting, though, that, that uh, I'm not trying to big up Brock Osweiler at all. But Gase essentially helped mold Osweiler into the quarterback who went five and two in Denver in in 2015 and the two of them have remained close i know that you know since adam moved on since brock moved on and i know that osweiler confided in gaze certainly two seasons ago when he struggled in houston and again last season when the issues were happening in cleveland um and i caught up a report with the osweiler said that uh, essentially he attributed his success in 2015 entirely to gaze said adam has a huge impact on my life it was a little, a little bit of tough love at first. As a rookie, you come in and you're riding high on this wave and you just had a great college season. You get drafted, then you get humbled a little bit. But I've got nothing but love and appreciation for Coach Gaze because through that tough love at times, I realized he was doing that to make me a better player and to get me prepared to play in the NFL. Adam Gaze is the one of the most brilliant minds in football, regardless of the level. He's a tremendous coach and he's always working with people, striving to become better and make me better Adam makes playing football fun. I don't know. I just wonder whether or not there's a tie that binds these two. That and, and I totally take your point that, that you know we're going to draft a quarterback. I think I, I do wonder about the you know Wellian factor in terms of his relationship with Gaze, knowing what we knew 12 months ago with with Jay Cutler and that relationship. And um, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, the tie that binds though is is only as thick as the money that that changed hands here and that that went into the contract and the money that went into the contract was very very low i mean we're not even we're not talking about we know what a backup a primary backup contract looks like in the nfl and this this was not it and he's effusive about adam gase and adam gase we don't know how adam gase feels about osweiler on the other hand we know that last year Last year, Osweiler was made available and for virtually free, and uh, and Adam Gase didn't pursue. You know, we don't we don't know how whether that's a two way street or not. We'll just have to feel this this thing out. So draft quarterbacks, then we've obviously been linked continuously, almost daily, with Baker Mayfield. C- Coach Gase said last week at the owners' meeting that they were close t- to each other in terms of. Um, mindset and mentality and he was attracted to what Baker brings to the table he sees a lot of himself in Mayfield are we out thinking ourselves here about Baker is it going to happen given that we've just talked up Tannehill and how much we're looking forward to seeing him coming back there's the talk about all the John the, the Jim Mora Josh Rosen stuff does is Rosen one of the fallers where does Lamar Jackson come into things where does our all these myriad Luke Falk who the Dolphins have been all over La Letta, who we all like the Richmond kid where are we with with draft quarterbacks do we think we're going to bring in somebody in the first first two days do you think it's going to be a sort of rounds four to seven kind of guy what, what do you think we're looking at where do you think we go with this well McShay in today's mock which is on Wednesday, the 4th of April, has us trading up to take Baker Mayfield at number six. Now, I heard all year 
that the front office personnel kind of like Josh Rosen, that that was their, their chosen guy. But everything that I've heard is everything everybody else has heard in the media, which is that they're enamored with Baker Mayfield. Now, as far as anybody else out of the big four, out of the top big four, Darnold, Rosen, Allen, Mayfield, I really don't have an opinion of anybody else because I, I see huge flaws in everybody else. And the only guy that I could see, like, that I would take in the second round and I'm not really much of a fan of his, and that's Lamar Jackson. And the only reason I would take him at 42 is out of fear of being wrong. I don't think he makes to 42 anyway. I think I, I just think somebody's going to end up trading into the back end of round one to take him. I'm pretty sure Jacksonville might take him. I, I just don't see him falling that far. I mean, I know there's been all those issues with his mom and teams not being able to get hold of him. And I saw Michael Robinson, the old um, Seahawks fullback, who now works at NFL Network, tweeting today about trying to get in touch with him because he said there's lots of quarterbacks who are trying to get hold of you to talk to you about what you're going through and uh, and some of the things that you can do to help yourself in these last few weeks um so i know that that kind of thing isn't going well and teams have been sort of turned off but i just don't see a quarterback of his talent you know you look at new you look at someone like new orleans going in behind a drew Brees or uh you know jacksonville have made that commitment to to uh blake balls for the for the three with a three-year contract extension but you know there's no guarantee that certainly the contract wise in terms of the money he's going to be there this year and next year but you know there is time for a lamar jackson to learn a system do you see what i'm trying to say i just don't think that he's going to fall to that to that point i really don't i think i i i see your point there on him not making it and i i would tend to agree because the way it seems to go with these quarterbacks he seemed to be having like a, a situation where the top maybe six are are grouping together pretty well uh, between the guys that we all mentioned with Sam Darnold and Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen, but also Lamar Jackson and Mason Rudolph is the other guy that that is often kind of tossed in there with the day two uh, or even possibly day one. Um, And the NFL seems to the NFL seems to take these guys uh and just make sure that they're off the board before you get too long into it and that's what i see happening with lamar jackson and you have to keep in mind this thing this whisper campaign about i can't get a hold of him and he made a very controversial decision he made a very controversial decision not to have an agent and if you are a top level prospect especially at a quarterback and you're making decisions to not have representation not have an agent you're going to have a lot of people gunning for you because there are agents out there that want to be his agent that want to make sure that every draft prospect that comes out that's a top draft prospect especially quarterbacks since those are sort of the white whale uh they want to make sure they're all looking for representation so i i don't know that I trust all this talk. Oh, I can't get a hold of him. I can't, you know, I, if I hear it from a team and it's reliable, that's one thing. Um, but if I'm hearing whispers and rumors coming out into the media, then there are all kinds of interested parties that could be doing this. I think he's a good prospect. He's a second-round prospect. I consider him a lot like I did RG3 when he came out, a second-round prospect, uh, just like you know I had RG3 in the second round back then. Um, I think that, yeah, there's mechanically some issues that, that I have with him and the way that he throws the ball, especially that narrow base and his feet. Uh, but you also look at the NFL concepts, and Simon, you brought this up with us plenty of times the nfl concepts he's throwing on a on a you know game for game basis down, are things that down, absolutely yeah things that you can map over directly to your nfl offense i mean and that's and that's what i think people are going to be looking at and actually when i look at him i get a little bit more excited about what he does from in the pocket and within the structure i know that he can do things outside of structure but he's also doing some some pretty good things in within the structure and inside the pocket and i think that that's what you're going to be looking at i I don't like him out of the pocket quite frankly because i don't think he's got the frame to keep playing there i get worried about him that way um but you know inside the pocket and throwing nfl concepts um i don't think his accuracy i think that the accuracy thing is overblown a little bit uh yeah he's a good player to look at in the second round i just don't think he's going to get there like you for those guys that um who are listening who aren't massive draft heads like us just give them a quick rundown on why we get so excited about Baker Mayfield what is it about this kid that we really like and what clearly a lot of teams and it seems like the Dolphins are certainly one of those teams what 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 the Dolphins seen him what what does he bring to the table what if Baker Mayfield was our starting quarterback what what would we be telling people who who didn't particularly follow, follow college football last season well he checks every single box if 
If you have a checklist of everything that you want in a quarterback and a quarterback prospect, he checks every single box except one. He's not 6'4, 230 pounds. That's it. Everything else he has mechanics, perfect. Footwork, perfect. Good athlete, yes. Can he run? Yes. Good arm, yes. Velocity, yes. Can he throw outside the sticks? Yes. In between the sticks? Yes. Deep? Yes. He does it all. And he's produced. He has the numbers to, to back it up. And he has certain intangibles that, you know, that, that go go along with it. His coaches absolutely love him. Uh, you watch him on, on Saturdays and he's fun to watch. He's he's in your face. He's, uh, he's going to sell tickets. Uh, he's a perfect prospect. Out of the top four, he's the one that I look at and I say, I don't see anything wrong. The only thing I see wrong is his size. That's it. Chris, when I am, um, what do you think about what happened in the back end of the Georgia game in the Rose Bowl in terms of, uh, I spoke to Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma head coach, uh, six weeks ago uh, about a feature that I was writing on Mayfield. Mm-hmm. And he was adamant that, that Oklahoma that, and the play calling, which certainly from my point of view, seemed to become a little bit cautious down the stretch when Georgia sort of came back into it and the the Chubb and Michelle were running so well. Roquan Smith suddenly became a a huge factor in that game and and Oklahoma seemed to get a little bit tight. Any concerns about the way Mayfield's role in the in the collective tightness or do you think that was a uh, more of a play calling issue and the fact that Georgia were a little bit switched on to some of the concepts that Riley was trying to run where, where do you think the blame in inverted commas lays uh, or laid in that in that situation two things really uh in that situation and what I saw in that game is one first off I think you've already kind of said it in that the play calling in the second half I mean not only did it get a little bit predictable but it really took the game out of his hands a lot and it didn't give him as much of a chance to affect the game in the key moments that it should have and i thought that was the big the big problem because he he does this he plays well in the clutch i mean he he is a guy that can really put the team on his shoulders and you've seen it throughout the you know season he's a guy that can put the team on his shoulders and come up big but there were points when he really wasn't allowed to do that. And I didn't understand it then. And I think that there's been plenty of, you know, talking about that since then. The other thing is, you know, we're I don't know why we're sitting here discussing the second half so strongly when he clearly tore them up in the first half. It's almost like the first half didn't happen. Yeah. I'm not I'm not going after you because obviously obviously everybody is talking about the second half. These are just some of the questions that people who don't watch college football football from september through till uh, mid-december ask do you know what i mean it's, these yeah are bold, i absolutely, bold, absolutely bold know know what you're talking about I'm, but everybody's asking about that second half and they want to know about it but the the thing that i'm trying to point out is the first half happened and the first half he diced up you know a championship caliber defense sec defense and you you have to look at that because you can't just take a guy in slices you can't just take well you know in the second half it's like cam newton go back to cam newton when he came back and he had a championship game against oregon that was that mike mayock you know probably correctly called about a c plus and you're like oh well you know in this championship game he only had about a c plus performance what kind of quarterback is he going to be at the next level? Well, he's the kind of quarterback that he was throughout that playoff process and throughout the uh, the season. That's what the kind of quarterback he was. And Baker Mayfield, when he gets to the NFL, is going to be the quarterback that he was during the entire Georgia game, not just the second half of the Georgia game. So I, I don't like you know dicing the guy up like that. Um, I think that the what attracts me to him is I look at his process, his throw process from you know from toe tips to to fingertips really and he's just got such a solid base in the way that he throws the ball and it's so replicable uh everything that he does whether he's throwing on the run or whether he's um you know scrambling or doing anything that he has to do out of structure everything he does from a throw standpoint is replicable and it's very consistent so he's getting the ball he has that it reminds me of drew Brees, and i know that's a little bit cliche because of the size and all that stuff but that's what he reminds me of because of the way he throws the ball it just looks like he can do that as many times as you want him to do that and that's a real luxury in the nfl because you know some guys you ask them to do these things you know so many times and they just can't do it every time like that and i think he's gonna be he has the chance to be a guy that can do it exactly 
exactly like you want it every single time unless the conditions go really far against him. And that's what attracts me to him. He can make plays within the structure, outside of the structure. We've all seen how, you know, he's a magic man under pressure and, and you know, spins and make this guy miss and then turn around and hit somebody on the run. Um, but it's the way that he can replicate his throws just so consistently. That's what that's what really gets me about him. I mean, and like Alf said, he checks all the boxes. He's got arm strength. He can spin oh, a football. Yeah. So I, nothing, nothing, nothing bothers me about him. Okay. Six. Now we've established that. Now, anybody else that you can get excited about? I like Luke Folk. I've got to say, I like Luke Folk at Washington, uh, Washington State. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea. For me, he's got an absolute beating behind that offensive line. But he is, he is really, really, really an accurate quarterback. He's a smart quarterback. Uh, I'm not. I'm not pretending that he's going to turn into Aaron Rodgers, but I do. I do quite like him. I like the Laletta kid out of Richmond. I think he showed up big at the Senior Bowl. Uh, and Chris Powell has talked about. Yeah, I think Chris has talked about him being. Uh, you know, that sort of does he fall into that Garoppolo bracket? And you can. You know, he doesn't have all the intangibles that Jimmy has, but you can see some of the things there that teams will find interesting. So for me, that there would be two sort of not off the radar, obviously, because they're firmly on the radar, but just two of those kind of group B kind of quarterbacks that I, I sort of find interesting. Chris? One one thing about, uh, you know, Garoppolo and um, and Laletta, uh, and I do see I do see the comparison and it's in the it's in the footwork and it's in the balance uh, and the way that they move, the way that they move in the backfield and the sort of the quick decision making and uh, the quick process. That's I mean, it's not quite as blinding light speed as Garoppolo had in college, but uh, it's, I mean, it's really, it's really good. And that's what led me to, I, I was comparing Garoppolo back to, uh, to Trent Green. And, um, you know, when he was, when he was young in the league and, and when he was coming out. And I think that I see a lot of that in Kyle Laletta. And, um, and that's a guy that I would really look at. Uh, but I, the guy, he's not going to make it to the Dolphins pick, but a lot of draft Knicks will, claim that he is and i think some i think you guys aren't big fans of it and that's josh allen you know i've been in in love with this guy i've been in love with this guy for years for over you know well over a year now um you know probably going on a year and a half and i think that the the criticisms of him pretty much start they start and end with the completion percentage and there are problems with that because we've gotten to this like pro football focusization of NFL draft analysis and NFL analysis in general which is great I I love that we're looking at things in new ways but when you apply metrics to quarterbacks and you try and apply all of these uh, different funky ways of looking at these guys what you have to realize is it's all breaking down to it's all deriving off of the completion percentage. It's all deriving off of how often, you know, he throws the ball and it's in a open window to, you know, a receiver that has an open window and it's in a place that's ideal for the receiver to catch it. And so you have these guys just coming out with article after article after article with new and creative ways of repackaging the exact same thing. And back, back a while ago, completion percentage, you know, yeah, you look at it, it's important and accuracy is important, but it's one of the areas of evaluation. It is not everything. Now it's become the steak, the sizzle and the potatoes on the side. I mean, it is everything to draft Twitter. It is everything to the cottage industry of draft Knicks uh, out there because they they think of all these funky new ways to repackage oh did you see his accuracy percentage in in this area of the field or did you see his did you see his completion percentage on pressure did you see his completion percentage under blitz did you see it you know it's what yards per attempt you know which is also derived off of completion percentage I mean we're talking about 270 throws and and I I know thing though is it i mean you're either accurate or you're not i mean well that's but that's the thing you're either accurate or you're not but that doesn't mean you're you either have the completion percentage or you're not (laughs) because let me give you some examples we had low completion percentages from and i know you hate this already simon but matt ryan completed only 59 percent of his passes his final year Matt, matt stafford in his second year you know keep in mind that josh allen was a second year starter this year matt stafford is second year starter 56 percent completion uh, in college jay cutler was like 59 percent completion 
his final year. Russell Wilson. We all love Russell Wilson. Every single one of us loved Russell Wilson. You know what he was at NC State? He was sub 60% every single year. Three years at NC State running the West Coast offense uh, over there. Did he suddenly learn how to throw a football when he went to Wisconsin's college offense? No, I don't think so. I think that there are other things at play here. I mean, he was 55%, 59%, 58%. That's what he was at NC State. You look at these other guys. Carson Palmer took until his fifth year at USC before he could put together a 60% completion. Donovan McNabb was 55% in his second year. Matt Hasselbeck finished his Boston College career 56% completion. Drew Brees and Peyton Manning, the gods of our world, Drew Brees and, and Peyton Manning, when they came out their final year, they were just over 60%. We're talking like 60.2, 60.4%. Okay, not a whole lot of difference there. And you're going to say, oh, well, you know, it was a different game back then, except not for Wyoming, because you have to look at the offense and look at what they were running. They're running a lot of that same stuff. They were a dinosaur in the football world. And when you're looking at these offenses that are dinosaurs in the football world, in the college football landscape, then you have to look at them and understand where the completion percentage is going to be. This is a team that ran the ball two thirds of the time on first down, two thirds of the time. That doesn't happen in the college landscape. On second down, down, they ran the ball about half the time. Now, what's the problem with them running the ball so much? They were gaining 3.4 yards per carry as a team. That's not including sacks. That's what the running backs were doing. It's the name of the podcast, three yards per carry. They were gaining three yards per carry on first and second down, yet they were still running the ball all the time. And what does that do to, to, to Josh Allen? He's got an outsized portion of his work on third down way more of his work on third down than the other guys that you look at between Sam Darnold and uh, and Josh Rose and Lamar Jackson Mason Rudolph and uh, and and some of the other guys and he does he has less work on first down that's disadvantageous to anybody who has that sort of breakdown because third down I don't care who you are third down you don't complete 65 percent of your passes you complete more like 57 percent of your passes some first down that's the money down that's when people like to pass it but he didn't have first down passes let's take a quick look though at quarterbacks drafted from 97 to 2013 who didn't complete 60 percent in their final season I, I, I'm wondering... what is it where does this mark where does the 60 percent come from why what why is this a magic mark it seems conveniently placed to try and get a result pick the percentage that you want to i mean you know, Jim Druckenmiller, 54%. Ryan Lee, 55%. Akili Smith, 58%. Cade McNown, 58%. Joey Hines. That's a trend. Um, Patrick, Rims, Patrick Ramsey, 57%. Carl Boller, 53%. Rex Gross. Matt Ryan, 59%. Yeah, I, I Russell Wilson, to, 55%. Yeah, 59%. I mean, it, we're talking low numbers. We're talking low sample size. But talking about Matt Ryan, who's been a guy who's used to reflect why Allen will be a success, but with no context whatsoever. Ryan played in a downfield passing NFL-style offense for a coach who completely abandoned the running game in his senior season. He threw more passes as a senior than any quarterback in America but one. BC put it up over and over and over again, and opponents knew it. So they played nickel and mainly dime, down after down after down. And facing that kind of uh, offense hurt his numbers. He was a 59% guy as a senior, who was a 63% guy the previous two seasons when the team was far more balanced. There is context to all of these different things. And I, I just think, I don't think we can just throw out, oh, Matt Ryan had this, Matt Ryan, without throwing some sort of context at it. And we continue, you know, 2002, Harrington, 59%. Ramsey, 57%. JP Losman, 59%. Cutler, 59%. Brady Eli Cook, Manning, 58%. Josh Freem, 58%. <laughs> Jake Locker, 55%. Christian Ponder, 56%. There is a theme here. That of Carson Palmer, 56%. Carson Palmer, 57%. I mean, you're, you're, you're leaving guys out, and that's the point. You're leaving guys out. If you're leaving guys out, then it's not statistically sound. I'm telling you, we're talking about low sample sizes, and we're trying to establish these trends here. And if you're doing it off of low sample size, then you can't just leave guys out and just you know cut this out and say oh well this doesn't count this doesn't count this doesn't you know context here context here there, yeah there's a context for every single one of these guys i bet josh allen wishes that his coaches threw the ball more on first and second down because then he would have completed more passes answer me this question honestly then given the teams that allen played against would you want his accuracy numbers to be around the same sort of percentage that Joe Flacco had at Delaware State? Which I would 
Of course, I would want everybody's percentage to be higher, but I'm going to look at I'm going to look at them. I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, you know, how are your receivers relative to your competition? Did they create open windows for you? I mean, if you're if you're looking at Joe Flacco, see, this is this is actually a great a great example because we're looking at Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz in his last year at North, North Dakota State. Uh, had I think it was something like a 61, 62 percent completion percentage, and they're both between Josh Allen and Carson Wentz. They were both low numbers because it was it was basically the same the same offense. And you look at Carson Wentz. The the difference between the two is Carson Wentz was on a North Dakota State that was built to beat its competition. North Dakota State was dominant, and I don't, I'm not talking about Carson Wentz. Before Carson Wentz was even a an idea in North Dakota State, they were dominant over their level of competition. They were winning championships. We actually grabbed one of their quarterbacks in Miami that was winning championships, and they were dominant after Car- Carson Wentz. They they've still been dominant over their level of competition. So these guys pass protect, they get open, they create windows, you're able to uh, succeed as a passer versus the versus the defense because you're out you're, you're outgunning them. Look at Wyoming on the other hand. Wyoming, you have guys that are being outgunned by the defenses that they're facing. So I don't really, I mean, I do care to some extent what your level of competition was, but it has to be viewed in context. It has to be viewed about the offensive skill position players and the the pass protection versus the pass rush and the the guys that are covering them. I will just say that the whole he had bad play playmakers narrative is a pretty poor one. I mean, it wasn't their fault that he was monstrously inaccurate. You know, that it, it was their fault that they couldn't create open windows and they well, definitely well, couldn't fight sa- for the ball because that's what I saw over and over again. Well, when he's sailing balls over their heads or anyway, regardless. It was their, for, <laughs> their fault that they're getting 3.4 <laughs> yards per carry on first he's, down. He's so Chris, constantly in second and long. Now, Chris, did get... you like Carson Wentz when he, when he was coming out? Actually, I, Carson Wentz, I was ambivalent on him because I didn't like the the fact that he had so little, uh, so little experience and so little uh, experience Coming out of the FCS, I thought that was a real, you know, to go for him really high was going to be a real risk because you never seen him in at a little bit higher level of competition. But, you know, I was wrong. It was a brilliant move by the Eagles. Okay. Uh, Are you sure that you're not trying to catch a falling knife by... <laughs> with his teeth? With, no. with, with Allen? Not in, because he looks so similar? Even the same, right no, down to the you know height, weight, know, and his combine results. Do you know how I know that that's not true? Because I was in love with Allen last year before Carson once even started to succeed in he, Philadelphia. He was. That's a true point. Listen, Chris has stayed very faithful to uh, to Josh Allen. I've got one quick question for both of you then before we go. Okay, uh, and we played a little bit of word association in our trail the other day. Josh Allen, bust or success, Chris? Success. Wow. <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Miami or no? No, Ball. not enough. No, not enough juice to get up there. No. Chris? No. No, I don't think so. So we've, we've essentially, for the last half an hour, talked about a guy that we've sexed up dramatically in Baker Mayfield, and he's still not going to come to Miami <laughs> on a Miami Dolphin-centric podcast. Well done, boys. But Take it was bow. entertaining. <laughs> Take a bow. All right, guys, you've been listening to the Three Yards Per Carry podcast. We're on the Five Reasons Network uh, with Ethan Skolnick and Chris Whittingham. I want you guys to get in touch with us on Twitter and uh, let us know what you want us to talk about. Or if you have any questions, you can get in touch with us with hashtag three yards. And please leave us reviews. Let us know what you think of the podcast on iTunes, on Podbean. And otherwise, we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider.